This is episode number 99, all about the Cape Epic. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. And today's going to be a really fun episode. I'm going to be talking about my race and travel experience at the Cape Epic, an eight-day mountain bike stage race, the biggest stage race in the world, taking place in Cape Town, South Africa. But before I get into that, I have a few announcements to make. Number one, I'm going to be at Sea Otter this week. Sea Otter is a four-day mountain bike and road bike bicycle festival, basically all bicycles. And it's been going on for a really long time. It's in Monterey, California. And I remember just a long time ago (laughs) when I couldn't wait to come to this event for the first time. And there's all these different tents set up. You come up and over to the Laguna Racetrack, Laguna Seca Racetrack. And there's lots of really famous car races there, but it's pretty cool that in the Sea Otter race, you can race your road bike on the racetrack. You also race your mountain bike on it for a short period of time. And in the middle is enormous expo center. So there's tons of different companies in the bike industry. So you can meet people that work for all these different companies. You can rub shoulders and meet a lot of the different professional athletes from road cycling to mountain biking. And also they have a lot of amateur races. So there's something there for everybody. It's a really fun event. It's a great way to plug back into the community. So if you're going to be there, I'm going to be hosting a few different events. On Thursday, I am doing a plant-based nutrition talk for athletes at the Goo Energy booth from 2 to 3 p.m. I will also be at the Wahoo Fitness booth on Thursday from 12 to 1 p.m. because they're hosting a sprint competition. And if you want to come ride with me, On Saturday at 10 a.m., I'm hosting my own mountain bike ride at the Wahoo Fitness booth. And the rest of the time, I'll either be racing. There are two pro cross-country women's races. So one is on Thursday and one is on Sunday. And I'll also be bouncing around to all of my different sponsors. So I hope to see you there. Secondly, I want to welcome back a podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. And Kuat makes the best racks. I've tried so many different types of racks. And I have their hitch mount Sherpa rack for my car. And I just put it back on for springtime because guess what? It's outdoor riding season now. And I am super excited about that. My favorite thing about Kuat racks is how easy they are to use. So for years, this is a secret. I wouldn't use a bike rack because I was afraid that the bike would fall off and that it would be user error and that I would put the bike on wrong, be driving down the highway and see the bike hanging off the back on the ground, dragging behind the car. And I've heard stories of this happening. I've also heard horror stories of people smashing their bike into their garage if they have a roof mount, which Kuat also makes roof racks, but I like the hitch mount because it's easy to use. I can reach it. It's lightweight if I want to take it on and off the car, and I just can't say enough good things about Kuat racks. So if you want to check them out, they are at kuatracks.com, K-U-A-T racks.com, and they also make roof racks. So you can check those out. And I see that they also have ski mounts. They have stuff for kayaks. They're ready for all of your summer adventures. Next up, I want to just mention that I released my own digital cookbook called The Plant Powered Tribe. 
And I spent a long time developing these recipes and it was really fun and really challenging to put it into a cookbook form. But there's over 20 recipes on there and they are specially formulated for athletes. So if you want to go to moxieandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com, you can get the Plant Power Tribe cookbook. It's super affordable. And you can also join our free Facebook group, Plant Powered Tribe. And I want to take a second to thank all of my supporters on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website where you have a monthly membership and you make a donation to the show. And in advance, you get to hear about some of the podcast guests coming on. You get to submit your own questions. And even just a couple bucks a month makes a big difference. It does cost money to put on the show and I'm happy, happy, happy to do it. I love it. But any support is very much appreciated. And I want to say thank you to the newest Patreon subscriber, Kathleen Wanat. Thank you very much. I apologize if I said your last name wrong, but thank you so much for joining our community on Patreon and just really appreciate your support. If you're enjoying the show and you like this episode or, or other episodes, some of you do an amazing job of posting the show online to share with your friends. It's the best way to get the word out about the show. And it's been super encouraging to see the growth lately. The show has been blowing up and it wouldn't be happening without you guys. So thanks so much for all of your help. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of my community here. So let's get into the Cape Epic. I primarily focus on mountain bike stage races. It's my favorite format of mountain biking because you get to ride a variety of different trails and terrains whenever you go to an area. And I was trying to calculate how many stage races I've actually done. The majority of my stage races have been seven plus days. And the Cape Epic, I believe, was my 35th stage race. And that's crazy because I started stage racing well, man, I can't believe it's 2019, but I started stage racing in 2010. My very first stage race was the Breck Epic, and then my second stage race was the Brazil Ride. So I went from an awesome Colorado rip and fun stage race to basically a, the death march of the Brazil Ride, which was my experience at my first stage race. The Brazil Ride has since become one of my super favorite stage races, but I had never done the Cape Epic before. This wasn't my first trip to South Africa. I was actually signed up to do the Cape Epic a few years ago, but there was something with my teammate where she couldn't go. So at the last minute, we had to pull out of our entry for the race. But I ended up doing the Joburg to Sea stage race in South Africa, which is a 10-day mountain bike race. I think it's 10 days. It was nine or 10 days anyway. And I raced it with Yuki Akeda, and we raced a mixed team. So that was really cool. And the little taste I got of South Africa made me really want to go back. Now, I am going to be doing a podcast in the near future. It's going to be the ultimate guide to stage racing. So this is just going to be a little bit of uh, dipping your toe in the water for some of the logistics, some of the nutrition, the strategy, the packing, how to go to a stage race, how to choose and race with a teammate if it's a team race and more. So the Cape Epic is the biggest stage race in the world, as I mentioned, and I think there's somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 people in this race. And it's become so wildly popular that there is a massive wait list and a lottery selection to get in, kind of like the Leadville 100. So I actually got into this race at the very last minute. It was right before, like the day before I left to go race the 24 hours of Old Pueblo as a co-ed duo. And my initial thought was, oh man, like I love to go to this race. I've never done it before, but I'm not going to be prepared and I'm not going to be at my best. And this is the world's biggest mountain bike race. It's on the world stage where you're on ESPN in South Africa. It's a UCI race. All the huge names and cycling are there. And it was one of those situations where 
you want to be at your best, but you just have to show up and you have to show up and just be happy with what you had. So I had to decide that to go to this race, which is awesome. And I'm not complaining at all. It was such a great opportunity. But in hindsight, it would have been really nice to have had some time to train for it. So I did the 24 hours of the Old Pueblo with Gordon Wadsworth and we won it and it was awesome and a great time. But the problem with racing 24 hour races, especially as a duo or a solo, is it takes quite a long time to recover. So basically I came home and it was only a couple weeks until I was leaving for the Cape Epic. And I had to just be okay with the training that I had done and accept that I was going to show up. The work pretty much was done because you can't really do much training after you do a 24 hour race and then are leaving in a couple weeks. So that was kind of hard to accept that, but I was actually really pleasantly surprised with how I felt at the race. Now, where did I get a teammate at the last minute? I actually was trying to get into this race back in November and I had an entire winter training around this race, but I actually didn't get in in November. So it didn't work out, but I had been asking around to find female teammates so that I could do this race. And the cool thing about racing the UCI women's category, which unlike other stage races, is that you get your own start. So as women, we had our own separate start. We had a men's uh, category starting. I think it was maybe five minutes behind us. And another rule with UCI racing with a UCI women's category is drafting. And in a lot of mountain bike stage races, there's dirt road riding so that if you're riding, it's a mass start. You're riding with men. It's whoever can make the selection and stay in the pack as long as possible will have a massive advantage. So I actually really liked that we weren't allowed to draft off of any other category and they weren't allowed to draft off of us. So some people would prefer to just sit in the pack, but I like having my own race and I like, like a lot of times there'll be people sitting on my wheel and then they won't pull through. So I was actually really happy to have only people in my category having that option And I was also just happy that it was just a true race amongst the women. So the women's race was incredible. The women that showed up to this was like, they're on a whole other level than myself and my partner. So you had Annika Lingvad and Anna Vanderbregen. Annika is multi-time marathon world champion. She's been cross-country world champion. I think she's won the cross-country world cup series. She's won multiple, multiple cross-country world cups highly decorated rider, someone that I look up to. And Anna Vanderbregen is the Olympic road world champion. That's a mouthful, but she basically wins everything. So they won the race. They were in another league than we were. And there were a lot of other just incredible teams there. So it was really inspiring to see how strong these women were riding. So this, as I mentioned, is a team race. And with team stage races, there's two types of stage races. There's solo where you're on your own. And then there's team stage races where you have to ride with your teammate and you're not supposed to let more than a two minute gap open between you. But really, if you're racing properly, there's no gap in between you. You're riding together the entire time. So how do you find a good teammate for a stage race? So if you're racing women, you want to pick a woman who is or or if you're racing just men, you want to pick a teammate who's going to be about the same fitness level as you. And if you're racing mixed, you want to be as the weaker rider wants to find. So the weaker rider is typically the female and you want to find the strongest possible man you can find to ride with because there's a different whole set of tactics, which we can talk about at a later date. If you're curious about mixed stage racing, I don't know what episode number it was, but I recorded a stage race with one of my teammates I race with frequently, Gordon Wadsworth, and we do mixed stage races together. And we've talked specifically about that. But for women's racing, you want to pick someone as similar to you as you can. And also someone that's going to have the same goals 
and someone who has the same mindset and attitude towards racing. I've raced with a lot of different teammates, and I think that making sure that you focus on the overall experience is the most important thing because at the end of the day, you'll remember the racing, but you're going to remember like the views that you saw, the stories, the inside jokes, the experiences that you had with a teammate. And that's why I love stage racing with a teammate is because you have somebody to share the entire experience with. And it really is a special relationship with that person. It's a really special friendship because you're going to see each other at your most tired. I'm not going to say at your worst, but at your most tired, you're going to see each other like with bad hair in the morning, if you're staying together, (laughs) you're going to just be there with each other for the entire thing. And you're going to be there through the low moments, through the high moments. And it's really just a cool thing to get to share that with somebody because there aren't very many experiences in life whenever you're going to be doing these extreme things and have somebody along for the entire ride. So my teammate was awesome woman named Catherine Williamson. And Catherine and I had actually never raced as a team together. In fact, I don't know if we've ever been on a formal ride together, but we've raced against each other a lot. So I first met Catherine at the Mongolia Bike Challenge many years ago, and she beat me there. She, I was second place at that race. She absolutely kicked butt. The Mongolia Bike Challenge definitely has a road racing focus, and she is incredible. Like Catherine has done, I think, 60-plus stage races. She couldn't even count. She's done so many. And she has a professional road racing background, and she's also been mountain biking for a number of years. And what I love about Catherine is her attitude and her mindset towards racing. So I've seen her in Mongolia. I've raced against her at Joburg to see. Whenever I race with Amy Beth McDougall in Columbia, we race against Catherine and Esther Seuss, who are also teaming up at that race. So whenever you're racing somebody that much, you actually see them through the entirety of the race. You see them before and after, and you see them during periodic moments in the race. And she is somebody who is very even keel emotionally, which is how I am too. I don't get freaked out in races and it's okay if you do, but (laughs) I just wanted to be with somebody that was really similar to me and somebody who was just excited about being there to give their best effort. And it's hard because you want to go and you're racing other people. You're there for a result as well. And sometimes the result and the racing can get in the way of the fun. And having somebody that can help keep you in check if you start focusing on the result or you start focusing on what other people think of your result can be really, really helpful. The Cape Epic was also Catherine's seventh Cape Epic. So I was there as a newbie and she has done, this was her seventh Cape Epic. So I love that she had a lot of experience. She also has an incredible sense of humor. She's from Yorkshire in the UK and she's just absolutely hilarious. With racing with a teammate, it's important to also have some communication in place. So picking somebody with a similar communication style to you is also really helpful There's different communicators out there. Some people don't like talking at all during the race. Some people are intensely enthusiastic during races like me, and that could actually annoy somebody that likes quiet when they're racing. So kind of picking somebody that's similar in that regard is really helpful as well. And also, whenever you're racing with a teammate, I see this a lot in men's races, whenever men are racing as a team, is you want to ride together. You are a team, so you're only as strong as your weakest link. And some days you might be the weak one. The other days your partner might be the weaker one. And realizing that it's not about you and putting your ego away and just being the best ambassador you can for your team to get you to the finish line is going to be guaranteed success in terms of results. So a lot of times I'll see a man 
and I'm not saying women don't do this, but there's just more men that I see. So they'll be like a guy and his teammate is nowhere in sight. And I kept seeing this team and the guy was like riding with us. And then the teammate would be like minutes back, which you can actually get a time penalty for. And he was just absolutely in the hurt locker and they just weren't even riding together. And there's lots of opportunities for drafting or where you could push your teammate or you could carry their stuff if they're like their water or their tools or whatever to lighten up the load for them. So operating as a team is so important and it's hard if you're riding separately because man, if you're the one who's back there and your teammates way up the road, it can just be completely demoralizing. So to prep for the Cape Epic, you heard I did two separate episodes on heat adaptation training with Dr. Stephen Chung and with Luke Wei and Stacey Shand. And I'm so glad that I did the heat training. This race can get up to over 100 degrees or over 40 degrees Celsius. And it didn't get that hot, I don't think, or maybe one day it did in the race. But this year was more of a, a mild year. But there were still some hot moments. So I was really glad that I had done the training because the days where people said, oh, wow, that was really hot. I didn't really notice that it was, I felt that it was like warm, but I didn't feel any type of performance decrease or I wasn't super bothered by the heat. So I think that the heat training worked and was really effective. There was a wide variety of temperatures in this race. So there were days where it was about 75 degrees. There was days where it was 50 degrees and raining during portions of the race. And then there were days where it was up in the 90s. So being prepared for anything is really important, especially with clothing options. Last year, I did a race in Spain called the Andalusia bike race, and I've done it a couple of times, but it's supposed to have amazing weather. And last year it was torrential downpours. And many people were not prepared with the clothing. So whenever you're packing for an event, even if you think it might not be bad weather, come prepared because having that edge will get you to the finish line. And in some cases, it'll move you up dramatically within the field. Because if you don't have a raincoat or you don't have a base layer or you didn't bring warm socks, that can make all the difference during the day. So make sure that you're bringing all of the stuff that you need. So what was it like? Really, what was it like? So the race was eight days. It was somewhere in the order of 630 kilometers, and it was over 50,000 feet of climbing. So mentally, how did I do this going into this race? Well, I had done some consistent training, which I'm proud of, but it was all on the trainer. I was doing between eight to 12 hours a week on the trainer, very structured training, but I didn't have any super long rides except for the 24 hour race and a 50 mile mountain bike race. I did the El Paso Puzzler back in January. So I had to have the confidence and the trust that I had the fitness to do this race. And based on previous experiences, I've done lots of stage races from the trainer in the wintertime where you train on the trainer and then go straight to the race. So I was pretty confident, but this is a very long stage race. There's only a couple stage races in the world where you're racing over 30 hours in a week. So I was a little bit nervous that my fitness wouldn't be there, but I was very pleasantly surprised that it was. So on the prologue, I felt super strong on the next few days. There was, there were days where Catherine was a little bit stronger than me. There was days where I was a little bit stronger than Catherine. And then as the race progressed, I'd say after the fourth day, my fitness started increasing. So that was also really cool because whenever I go into a stage race, super fit, it seems like I go super hard for three, four days. And then I just start declining as the race goes on. But for some of these races where I've gone in without as much fitness, it seems like I start getting fitter as the race goes on relative to everybody else. So that was a kind of a nice surprise to finish that race, not completely depleted because I didn't have to push myself so far into the red. 
But again, going into a race, knowing that you aren't on your top A game, that you didn't do the preparation that you wanted, it's about acceptance. It's about being proud of the effort that you did and about just showing up and doing the best that you can with what you have and just telling yourself that that's good enough. And that can be hard because there's people watching or there's that inner critic saying, well, you should be up there or whatever. So it's just an acceptance piece. It's putting your ego away and just being happy with where you are and choosing what you want to focus on. And that was really powerful for me at this race. So I flew across the world to South Africa. So I went to the True Grit. I was signed up to do the 100, but I didn't do it because it was the week before the Cape Epic. But Matt raced it. And that was also an opportunity for me to ride my brand new bike outside for one or two times before actually going to the Cape Epic, which I highly recommend testing out your equipment before you race it. So that was really good. And I ended up flying from Las Vegas to LA, LA to Doha, Qatar, which is next to Saudi Arabia, and then to Cape Town, South Africa. So it was two full days of travel. It was a lot. And whenever you land, you go and I got a rental car and they drive on the wrong side of the road there. And I've driven on the wrong side of the road before, but I'm always a little bit anxious about it because it's just weird. Like, it seems like you would have a good feeling for where the car is physically in space in the lane, but the opposite side of the car it's just hard to know where it is. And also parking is difficult. And whenever you go to signal, like you accidentally turn on the windshield wipers. So it just requires a lot more focus. It's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's akin to being a new driver. Like you're just hyper-focused on everything. Everybody's like turning, like instead of turning left, like your right turns or your left turns. So it just requires a lot of focus. So that was something that I was a little bit nervous about, but it went really well. And the driving wasn't nearly as bad as it was the first couple of times I tried driving on the wrong side of the road. So from a logistics standpoint at this race, you could camp and there's a lot of stage races offer tent accommodations and staying in the tents is awesome because you get this really amazing community feeling and you get the full experience of the race. And I've done the tent accommodations tons and tons of times at races But now if there's a hotel or an Airbnb option, I take it just because I sleep better. And I have to say that maybe I'm getting softer, but I could go back to the tent if I needed to, but I prefer not to do the tents. But if you haven't done tents, I highly recommend it because it's good to have that experience under your belt. So I ended up relying on some friends, some acquaintances from social media to help me figure out where to stay and what to do and how to plan my logistics around this race. There was some really great people, a guy named Roland, a guy named Lance, and just some great locals who were just giving me some really great advice and helped me find my accommodations. Finding accommodations three weeks before the biggest stage race in the world where people sign up a year in advance was a little bit challenging. It wasn't impossible, though, but I could not have done it without the help of my friends. So thank you, guys. I really couldn't have done it without you. So before the race, I stayed in a place called... Well, the South Africans, it sounds like Rabau or something like that, but it's spelled Grabo or Rabo, and it is outside of Cape Town up in the mountains. It was pretty awesome. So I landed in Cape Town. I went to the store. I bought all this amazing food so that I could cook my own food in the days leading up to the race. And then I started driving and you drive along the coast in this beautiful ocean view. And then there's these There's no trees, but there's these like green, rocky mountains. And you drive up and over the mountain into this valley. And it's called the Elgin Valley. And it's where they grow a lot of the food. They're famous for apples. There's wineries. And it's funny because it was really similar to where I live in Kelowna. 
Kelowna, BC has over 300, and, and the whole Okanagan Valley has over 300 wineries. It's famous for apples. So in some ways, I was right at home. And I stayed on a farm, and they had this little, like, cottagey thing on a farm. And it was right next to all the trails, and it was also right next to Lance and Alex, who were renting me their place. So I had a good setup for the first few days. It was really quiet. It kind of forced me to rest, which I don't do a very good job of. If I'm going to a stage race and I'm in a city, I want to go check out the city as a tourist when you're supposed to be just relaxing. So it helped me kind of lay low and just focus on the race, focus on getting my bike set up. I got to ride on some trails and I felt safe there. Cape Town, unfortunately, has a lot of crime. And I kept hearing stories about people, I mean, even from locals telling me this, how there's lots of areas where it's not really safe to go riding by yourself. So I was happy that there were places I could ride by myself. It was a little bit lonely at times, and that can be hard whenever you travel by yourself to a race. I was really looking forward to meeting up with Catherine because she and I would stay together for the rest of the race. But the first couple of days were lonely. And there's other stage races I've done where it's a solo race and you're there by yourself. So you're basically by yourself all the time. And I actually don't really like that. So I was really happy to have that experience there in Grabo. And I went and met up with Catherine and we went back to Cape Town and the race started at the University of Cape Town. It was incredibly beautiful. I was shocked at the beauty. So you park and you go and then there's like these big brick buildings and they had like ivy growing all over them. And in the background were these just rocky green mountains. It's hard to explain what they really look like, but in the show notes, I'll post some pictures And then we pre-rode the prologue course. And once you get up on this road, you can see the ocean. So it was really beautiful. We had a sunny day. And I was really thankful we did because the actual day of the prologue, it wasn't sunny and you couldn't see any of the views. So that was pretty cool to be able to see that. The prologue itself was awesome. So the race is massive. So there's announcers, there's just people everywhere. It's hard to convey what the actual feeling is like. But You're up there, and I can't remember what the uh, splits were, but with a prologue time trial, you start, it's like one person every 10 seconds or something like that. Actually, I think it might have been two minutes, but anyway, so you're standing there side by side next to your teammate, and there's people everywhere, and you're on a ramp, so then they count down like three, two, one, and then you go down the ramp, and then the race starts. And it was interesting because I tend to go too hard in prologues on the day before It's actually the day of the race, but it's kind of considered like a zero stage. They actually start calling the next day stage one. So Catherine definitely helped keep me in check. I wanted to go a lot faster and she kept me in check and made sure that I didn't toss all my cookies or or whatever, go too hard in the prologue. So we had a good time and there's like this really steep climb and there was all these people cheering on this climb. You could hear them as you're approaching it and they're lining the entire way and I don't know what it is, but for me, I just, I love the people and I love it whenever there's a lot of energy around. So it's hard for me to just stay race face like her. So I started like raising the roof with my hands and like yelling at all the spectators and just getting that extra energy. Just, I don't know. It it makes me feel really good and excited. So thank you so much to you guys who are cheering there. It does make a huge difference. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be one of the road racers where you're racing in all these European towns with people everywhere. And I wonder if you would actually get desensitized to having that cheering because a lot of endurance races, there's nobody around. You're alone by yourself. 
the aid station has a few volunteers and you might see some, a few people at the finish line. So having like a massive amount of people cheering for you and our names are on our number plates. So they were actually cheering your name was just one of the coolest experiences of the race. And this happened repeatedly. There'd be aid stations in the race and the aid stations would feel like a start or a finish line because they were so big. There was an announcer at the aid stations. There was people everywhere. And just having that cool experience was unreal. So we did the prologue, and then after the prologue, we had about a two-hour drive, and we drove to this place called Hermanus. And Hermanus is famous for whale watching at certain times of year, and it's on the ocean. So it was really, really beautiful spot. And we stayed at this other Airbnb, and there was this little old lady who was hosting us there who was really funny, and she was also very concerned about us, like, where are you going to park your car? What are you going to eat? When are you going to be back? So that was a new experience with Airbnb, but... It was really funny. And that was also my first experience with something called load shedding. What is load shedding? Well, in South Africa, I actually, I don't know if it's South Africa wide, but definitely in Cape Town area, they were, I don't know if it's to save money for the government or what the deal is, but they turned the power off and they turned the power off multiple times a day. So like there'd be two hour increments of time where there just wouldn't be any power. And unfortunately where we were staying and that, that part was the fact that we would go to the race dinner and the podium and the briefing, and then you come back and there'd be no power. So we had these little lanterns and our headlamps to get our stuff ready for the next day. You go to bed in the dark. And then the really unfortunate thing was we'd wake up at like five o'clock in the morning and there would still be no power because that would be the next load shedding two hour sequence. So in some cases we couldn't make coffee and we'd, we'd still be in the dark. So that part was kind of hard. And the load shedding, so there's like different stages of load shedding. So stage one, maybe you're out of power for two hours. And then you're up to stage four, or maybe you're out of power for up to six hours a day. So that was actually really annoying. It's like you take for granted that you have access to power at all times where we live. And so that load shedding thing was frustrating, but it also made me really appreciate the fact that we have access to power anytime we want it. So the stages in the Cape Epic, what I love about races like the Cape Epic and the Brazil ride and like the Columbia race, La Leanda, is that there's really long days and I love really long days. So most of the stages were like five to six hours of racing and it's all in. I mean, <laughs> as an endurance athlete, I love being on my bike all day racing, but it's all you do. You're out there and then you get off your bike. It's about recovery. It's about prepping for the next day. It's about figuring out where you're going next. And I was really surprised at how fast paced these five to six hour stages were. It was amazing to see how fast the women at the front were, were going. And Catherine and I were consistently in seventh place in this race. And it was a new experience for me to not be racing for the podium. So the majority of the stage races I've done, I've been on the podium or racing for the win. And it was almost, I mean, I feel, I feel silly saying this, but like it was a foreign experience, not racing for the podium. And we were nowhere near getting on the podium at this race. So I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't feel motivated or that I would feel like, well, why am I bothering? And I didn't feel that way at all, but it was actually kind of relaxing to not have that pressure because the team behind us was pretty far back. The team in front of us was pretty far ahead. So we were just solidly in seventh place, like no pressure, no worries. And whenever you're winning a race, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. And especially like in a stage race, when you have a leader's jersey for seven days, you have so much to lose. Or if you're just trying to get that last spot on the podium or stay on that last spot on the podium. 
there's a whole other element of racing. So it was actually kind of perfect to have a pressure-free race, but it was still kind of hard because there are times where I would just feel shame or embarrassment that I wasn't on the podium and like worried that people would think like, oh, well, she's lost it or she's not that good. Or whenever she shows up to this race, you know, this is like the biggest stage. She's not performing. And then I'd have to tell myself like, no, you did the best you could to prepare for this race. And honestly, even if I had every single thing I could have possibly done for preparation, I still don't think I would have been racing for the podium. And it's hard to admit that like out loud for people to hear, but I just don't think that I would be in that category at this race. So we really were focused on having a good experience and riding the best we could. And I do, I will say though, that not having anybody to race specifically other than yourself was also a little bit challenging because there were times where we definitely could have gone harder or you could have just totally buried yourself. But the motivation to completely bury yourself wasn't there. But because of that, you actually had a more fun experience because like there's a really fine line between going hard and then burying yourself and you might be like 2% faster and then the experience feels a lot more painful. So I didn't experience the extreme pain that I normally experience in stage racing and the extreme suffering, but we still were riding at a good pace. And as I mentioned, I felt stronger and stronger as the race went on. So my enjoyment was also increasing because the suffering was less and less as the race went on relative to our pace. So we had a couple of days in Hermanus. I booked that place through Airbnb and somehow I got lucky. It was only like two blocks from the whole racing area. So we would just ride our bike to and from. It was really easy and really nice, but we didn't have any support. So I paid for mechanic and massage support. A lot of the teams we were racing had their own staff with them. They had like team doctors and like mechanics and drivers and all those things. And I've never had that before. So fortunately, I don't know the difference of what that's like. So we were pretty much on our own. The race did provide food. So we would just eat our own breakfast. So we wouldn't have to get up extra early and go to the breakfast there. And my race breakfast is the same no matter what race I'm doing. It's bread with almond butter and jam or or something like that. So pretty simple. I do get on my nutrition immediately on the bike. And speaking of race nutrition, this is, it was funny. Someone actually came up to me and interviewed me because they heard me say on the trainer road podcast that I pretty much don't eat anything except for gels in a race. doesn't matter how long the race is except for 24 hour racing. So yes. So I actually brought like 115 gels with me, goo energy gels. I like the goo roctane. I also bring some of the regular ones just to get a break with a more variety of the flavors, but the goo roctane gels are awesome because a lot of them have caffeine. Many of them have a lot of amino acids in them. So they're specifically designed for endurance events to help prevent muscle breakdown. So for me, I'm actually going to be recording in June, a podcast on how to design your own nutrition plan for an event in association with Goo Energy Labs and a sport nutritionist. So you can figure out what works for you. But for me, I use a gel flask. I eat about three gels per hour. So I'll take a gel flask. I'll put five to six gels in the flask, add water, shake it up, and then I'll just drink from the gel flask. And typically I'd have two to three of these flasks in my pocket. I also would have some chews and I would have a bar because sometimes I do get hungry and I just want to eat something. And then there's food at the aid stations and things like that. So if you want like some chips or whatever, you can stop and get whatever you want. But figuring out what works for you is really important. So just because that works for me doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for you. And then on board, I usually have one bottle of sports drink and one bottle of water. 
And there is a sports nutrition service you could pay for where they would deliver your bottles for you so you wouldn't have to stop. But Catherine and I didn't want to pay that money. And we also didn't have like a team manager or anything. Um, the UCI women's category had like team manager meetings and these all these different UCI boxes where you could put your spare wheel sets. So we kind of felt like imposters in some ways because we didn't have a team manager. We didn't have anybody to go to the team manager meeting. We didn't have any of that stuff. So we were just on our own. But it makes things more simple when you're on your own. So we would just stop and fill our water bottles, which you lose a little bit of time. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't really think that makes that big of a difference in the race. So every night I would prepare my sport nutrition the night before. I would make my gel flasks. I'd get everything out. On the bike, I would carry a hand pump from Topeak. I would carry a CO2 with one CO2 cartridge in it. I had my Topeak multi-tool I'm spacing on the name of the one that I use, but I've post tons of pictures of this tool. It's awesome. I have a tire lever and I also had a tire plug. I also tape electrolyte pills to my handlebar. Goo makes these awesome electrolyte pills that have a blend of different electrolytes. And I'm not a big time cramper, but whenever you come from riding the trainer to racing, sometimes your muscles get a little bit twingy in the early season. And some people are just prone to cramping at every race. I'm not a big time cramper, as I mentioned, but I am prone to getting twinges in early season when I go from the trainer to racing. So that's pretty much what I carried every single day. I had one water bottle on my bike and one in my back pocket. Now, a lot of times I'll actually use a 50 ounce camelback instead of putting a bottle in my back pocket because I don't like how it bounces around whenever I'm riding. But if you're stopping to refill aid stations a bunch, it's too time consuming to fill a camelback. So I carried two bottles in this case. I don't know how some women did it, but some women just had one bottle on their bike. But my hydration plan is to drink a minimum of one bottle per hour, sometimes two bottles per hour. So I like having all that fluid on board. I kind of person that carries a lot of extra stuff. Like a lot of times I won't eat all the food I bring or drink all the water that I bring. And you might say, well, you're carrying way too much stuff. I also always have a tube with me. I don't know what it is, but I've just had scenarios where my CO2 failed or I didn't have a tube or I ran out of water. And those things, while they seem like minor things and like the likelihood of those things happening is minor, if that does happen, it's going to cost you a lot of time. So I've had both scenarios happen and I think it's just better to be prepared and carry a little bit of extra weight. My bike setup, so I rode a Scott Spark Contessa RC 900. And that's a bit of a mouthful, but it is a hundred millimeter cross country Scott bike. And it's the women's version. So my bike had Shimano one by 11 XTR DI two, which is what I've been using for years. And they do have their one by 12 out. And there's been some slower issues getting the crank set. So I'm going to be getting the one by 12 soon. And I can't wait to try it out. But for this race, I had the Shimano DI2 1x11. I had a 32 tooth chain ring on the front, and I had an XT cassette that went up to a 46 on the back. And that was great gearing for all of the steep climbs in this race. I used the Stan Snowtubes CB7 Crest 29er carbon wheels, and I used the Maxxis Recon Race 2.35 tires. And a lot of times people run less than 235, they'll run like a 2.2, but I prefer the higher volume tire. Again, it's a little bit heavier, but I think that it's more fun to be on the bigger tires. I also always run a dropper seat post because I just like to shred on the downhill and have a good time. And I don't want to worry about other things happening. So I never have any regrets about my tire choice. So we had a couple of really fun days in Hermanus and every day I was pleasantly surprised with the course. There was a lot more single track than I imagined there would be. 
I had heard that the Cape Epic is mostly a dirt road race. So I was mentally prepared for that. So every day getting some really fun single track descents was just such a nice surprise. From Hermanus, we went back to Grabo where I was staying before the race. And those trolls were so much fun and just, it was so beautiful there. And it was crazy. Like I was riding in these mountains, like, as I mentioned, the Rocky Green Mountains, I don't know any better way to describe them, but they really reminded me of racing in Haiti. I did a three-day mountain bike race in Haiti years ago. It's the only mountain bike stage race that's ever happened. And it was only that year, but the terrain really reminded me of Haiti. And it was really bizarre to be in Africa being reminded of racing in Haiti, but the uh, terrain, I don't know, you're like on the ocean and there's mountains. So I guess it could be really similar. So we did a couple of days there and there was also like a time trial. So I think it was stage four, day five of the race. And there was a time trial where you started every, or maybe it was like, I don't know, every two minutes or every minute or something like that. And they start reverse order. So we got to get passed by all the super strong women. And that was fun to see them. The coverage at this race is nuts. Like there's helicopters flying around at all times. Like you're on ESPN. The thing is on TV. So it was really cool because my husband, when I would be finishing the race, he'd be waking up in the morning. There was a nine to 10 hour time change from home to getting there. So he was able to get on the trainer at like five, six o'clock in the morning when he was getting up and watch the replay of my race. So that was a pretty cool thing to have for him and for me to stay connected during the race. As a side note, jet lag, you might be wondering, well, you only got there three days before the race. How did you deal with the jet lag? And the answer is I didn't really adapt to the jet lag. (laughs) So I've started doing acupuncture right before I go on a trip. And I noticed that that really, really helps with my nervous system. So I've gone to stage races. Like an example would be when I did the Andalusia last year in Spain. And for the first like five days, I couldn't get my heart rate up. Like I race at like 175 heart rate. And I could not get my heart rate above 150. And I felt horrible for days. And that has happened more than once at some of these foreign stage races whenever I go right before. And sometimes even if I go a week before I've had that happen. But last year I raced in Japan and in Poland and I tested out this acupuncture. And man, like, it's like my nervous system is fine. Every single time I've done it, now I've done it three times now, I can get my heart rate up no problem. I don't have any issues falling asleep. I don't feel bad in the morning when I wake up. The only caveat is that I don't really stay asleep. So I would like, it felt like the entire race, I never actually slept. It felt like I got lots of little naps in, but it didn't really affect me. Like it seems like it would, but I wouldn't wake up feeling tired, but coming home, I didn't do jet lag or I didn't do acupuncture coming home. And it was a big difference. Like I was exhausted for until basically yesterday. So yeah, I really recommend trying acupuncture for jet lag. It seems crazy, but it works. And you'll actually like this. Next week, I have my acupuncturist coming on the show to talk about Chinese medicine. So for the last few days of the race, we went to Stellenbosch, which is the wine region of Africa. And there are some exquisite wines there. And I want to go back and just do some riding and some wine tasting because I didn't really do any wine tasting during the race. The thing that was really surprising to me is like we were racing through a lot of the vineyards, like you'd literally be riding in between rows of grapes. And compared to where I live, like the mountain bike trails in BC are incredibly steep uphill and downhill, but the vineyards are not steep. They're like on the bluffs. They're like right by the lake and there's no seriously steep climbs in the vineyards. Whereas in Stellenbosch, there was some seriously steep climbs in the vineyard. So, I mean, 20 plus percent grade where you're just grinding away just to get to the top of some of these climbs. But the reward was there were so many fun trails. So 
The trails, I would say by my standard, were not technical. They were not rocky. There was just lots of turns. So there'd be like fun berms or they'd be dusty, but there would be nothing super crazy. Just really fun, awesome trails. Compared to the Joburg to Sea, which was the other stage race I've done in South Africa, there was relatively minimal wildlife. So when I did Joburg to Sea, there was actually like a stampede of like wildebeest and zebra and all these like animals that you see on planet Earth, <laughs> like stampeding through our peloton, which was quite scary. And Cape Epic, I think like I saw lizards and that was pretty much it. But I don't know if there's normally more wildlife or if it's because we're just like in areas where there's more people. I didn't see a lot of wildlife, but I was repeatedly just stunned by the extreme beauty. It was amazing how gorgeous it was. There was one day where if someone would shuttle me back up, like I totally would have gone and rewritten some of the sections just so I could enjoy and really take in just the landscape. Like I just wanted to stop and sit down and take it in. And I'll post a couple of photos, but the photos don't do it justice. But my Cape Epic experience was very, very positive. I loved the race course. I loved the terrain. The people were great. Something that the Cape Epic has as a reputation is some people say it's elitist and some people say that people just the vibe is so serious and it's a bad vibe. But to be honest, I didn't get that vibe. I had a great time. It might be in the eye of the beholder. It might be how sensitive you are to people taking the race seriously. But like for me, whenever I do a race, I'm always going to have fun. Even if I'm like taking it seriously and winning the race, I'm still having fun. And that's I don't know exactly how I do it, but <laughs> It's just fun for me. So I don't know. I didn't get that vibe from the race. There was one person I think that complained about me because I was being too loud during the race because I, I talk to my teammate and I make jokes and I sing to people. And that's just like how it is when I'm racing. And one guy was like, this is I don't know. He, he said something to my teammate how like this race is supposed to be a serious race. But that was like the only feedback that we got. But too bad for that guy. Like, have fun. Don't worry. It's just a bike race and you can go hard and smile at the same time. So that was my experience at the Cape Epic. We finished seventh overall, as I mentioned. And as the days went on, we were getting more and more competitive with some of the teams in front of us. But just our pace as a team wasn't fast enough to go in front of those ladies. So that was really cool to kind of see the race coming back to us. But it was also hard to not be able to chase it down. But we had an awesome time. Catherine was such an amazing teammate. We laughed so much. Like there was a couple of times I almost fell off my bike. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And just her experience as an endurance racer is amazing. And there were times where like the days were long, they're five to six hours. So some days you just want it to be over. And some days she would want it to be over and kind of like make a few little comments about it. Or some days I would want it to be over. And in a previous podcast, I said that my theme for the year is to savor every moment of the race. So instead of wishing you're at the finish line, trying to savor the moment. And Catherine put it in a different way, which I really loved. And it really stuck out to me. And she said, don't wish it away. Don't wish the kilometers away. Try and just be happy with each kilometer that you're doing. And that's hard to do whenever you're tired, you have 40, 50, 100K to go. So just that theme of don't wish it away and savoring the moment is something that I've been really, really trying to be really aware of, not only in races, but just in everything that I'm doing. Because when things are hard, sometimes you just want it to be over. But really embracing that, embracing the discomfort, embracing the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, that is what it's all about. The race finished in a place called Val de Vie, which was a wine estate. It was huge. It was really pretty. And the final finish line was pretty cool to cross. But I have to say, it was kind of weird. Like, 
it was eight days of racing, but I wasn't really ready for it to be over, which is a really great testament to my time with my teammate and our pacing strategy, because a lot of times I'm just ready for it to be over and I'm ready to be done and to be done suffering. So it was a really awesome time. And I just want to say thanks to Catherine so much. Like I would definitely race with her again. I made a really good friend. Like she and I were, were friends, but she is like a super special person to me now. And stage racing does that. It brings, well, it, it could have the opposite effect, but if you pick the right teammate, man, it can just bring you close together and create bonds that are just unshakable and just you share memories that you'll always have forever. So I highly recommend doing a stage race with a teammate. And this might sound nuts, but basically after the stage, I drove to an airport hotel. I stayed there for the night and then I flew out the next morning. <laughs> and sometimes I stay a couple of days after a race or if Matt's with me, we'll have a little holiday after the race. But I have to say that usually when I'm done with the stage race and everything's over, I just want to go home. So it was actually really awesome to get to go home the next day. I miss Matt. I miss my dog Baxter. And I flew straight to San Diego. It was the same flight path home. And I went to San Diego because Matt was having a work conference there. They have this like work convention every year and the spouses are all always there. So I didn't want to leave him high and dry. So I went straight there and it was a bit of a shock to the system the first night because I landed, it was like at 6.30 p.m. and there was this like super fancy gala dinner. So I went from like racing in these mountains in South Africa being a bike racer to this like gala dinner where you show up, it's loud, there's people everywhere, you're dressed up, it's like really fancy. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. But we had a good time in San Diego and then I just got home. It was about a week ago. And tomorrow I'm going to Sea Otter. So I knew that this week would be pretty intense because you're jet lagged, you're tired from the race, like you don't feel as good on your bike ride. So I, I didn't do a ton of riding this week and I just tried to get unpacked. I did my taxes. I tried to get my life organized. I was a little bit stressful and overwhelming, but that's kind of how it is if you travel on a weekly schedule. Last year I traveled almost every week. So I felt like this the entire year, which is hard to imagine. And this year, one of my goals is traveling less. So after the Sea Otter... I'm going to be doing marathon nationals in Texas and then focusing on doing local races in BC so that I can do more road trips and have a bit more time at home to maintain some balance in my life. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about some new sock designs with Moxie and Grit that are coming out after I get back from Sea Otter. Before I headed out to Cape Epic, I made sure that my designer and I got together and we put together some really fun designs. So be on the lookout for those. I also preloaded a schwack full, I don't know if I'm saying that right, a schwack load <laughs> of podcast episodes. So I'm going to start recording some new episodes. And I did two this week with some really awesome people that I'm excited that are going to come out in May. And I'm just really excited with where this podcast is going. And I'm just so thankful that you guys are listening to the show and that you're a part of this awesome, awesome community. If you are interested in keeping in touch with my whereabouts, my happenings, my writings, which writing is something that I love. I used to be a big time blogger and I'm going to start doing more of that because that really brings me a lot of joy. It just, I procrastinate it, but once I actually get into the writing, I absolutely love it. So if you want to be a part of this, get into my free newsletter. I was saying it's biweekly. To be honest, it's a little less than that. I don't know exactly what frequency you guys want or what is the right frequency, but I have this awesome newsletter that I send out every now and again. And if you go to sonyalooney.com, there is a little pop-up that comes up and you can sign up for my newsletter. Thank you again to Kuat Racks, our podcast sponsor, who make the awesome, innovative, easy to use and lightweight bike racks. 
I'm excited to put my back on my car. After I get back from Seattle, I'm heading to Squamish, which is I'm kind of a resident Squamish person where I go every month. So I'm excited to get that road trip going back and forth. Squamish is about a five hour drive. So it's like really awesome that we can just go over there. And in my opinion, it's the best mountain bike riding in the world. So excited to go there. And we started going there a lot last year. And I feel like I'm starting to build a really cool community of great people and friends there to ride with and to help me become a better rider. Because man, like mountain biking is a sport where you can get better at it no matter what level you're at. There's always room for improvement, but it's also finding terrain that challenges you. And Squamish definitely challenges me in a lot of ways. So really looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Thank you so much for leaving your five-star reviews. Wishing you all the best success in your training and racing. And we'll see you back here next week.